Morning, church. Today we are um, talking about anger, uh, something that 100% of us here today uh, deal with on a pretty regular basis. If you're not sure whether or not you struggle with it, I would suggest talking with your uh, family or friends. They can probably help you out. And if you're not sure um, what, what uh, triggers anger, go ahead, ask those close to you. And they probably know. If I want to see sparks fly at my home, all I have to do is pull out my smartphone uh, during dinner. And um, we'll hear some angry words um, afterwards, I'm sure. For, for most of us, anger tells us that something is wrong. Uh, we get angry when things don't work the way they're supposed to work. Um, maybe justice is denied, or our flight is, is canceled, or we are cut off in traffic, or perhaps uh, our child disobeys. So often anger springs out of our, our sense of, of justice, uh, what is right and what is wrong. Now, of course, that gets skewed by our own sin nature, by what feels right or wrong uh, to us. Uh, we get angry because things don't go the way we want them to. Uh, our spouse uh, sees differently on an issue or topic. Uh, maybe you get a C on a report card and you think you deserved uh, a B. Or somebody else uh, got the job that you thought should have gone to you. Sometimes when we are mad, it means that something is wrong uh, with us, inside of us. And Jesus had something to say about anger. We find it in Matthew chapter 5, begin with verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. <coughs> You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger, the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court and do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. For truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last week, we looked at the place of the Mosaic law in, in the Christian's life. And in verse 20, we ended with these words. Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when the ordinary folks heard Jesus say these words, uh, they must have thought to themselves, Well, I guess I have no chance. I'm going straight to hell. For you see that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were meticulous in following all the rules that were spelled out in the Old Testament. 
In fact, the name Pharisee literally means one set apart, one, one who has separated for holiness. And so the ordinary people have been thinking, gosh, you know what, if, if the Pharisees aren't going to make it, then, then how in the world can I make it? How in the world can my righteousness ever exceed that? And so Jesus unpacks exactly what he's talking about, and he starts with the Ten Commandments. He says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And they would have thought, yeah, yeah, everybody knows that commandment. Don't kill anyone. I can do that. 99.9%, actually look at this crowd, I would say 100% of us can say, yes, I've never murdered. But then Jesus raises the standard. He says, but I tell you, it's not just the act of murder, but getting so angry that you want to kill someone. You ever been there? So it's about who we are. It's about our character. It's about our inner life. So Jesus is saying, don't pat yourself on the back because you've never killed anybody. <laughs> it's not so much about outward obedience to the Ten Commandments as it is what's going on inside of us. Now, anger is an interesting emotion, don't you think? <laughs> That's from the, from the movie, the Disney movie about emotions. If you've never go to, gone to see it, you should. You should take your grandchildren, your children. It's a great movie. Anyhow, people with my personality style tend to, to hide our emotions. People frequently say to me, you know what, you're hard to read. But anger, that's hard to miss. Raised voice, harsh words, a scowl on the face. See, emotion, emotions are not meant to be, to be hidden, to be buried, to be stuffed away. I, I learned that the hard way. They're to be expressed, but there's healthy ways to do that. And so when we're happy, what do we do? We, we smile. Uh, when we're sad, what do we do? We, we cry. Uh, when we're mad, then, then we frown. But we also find this, that, that anger, unhealthy anger, hurts. It, it not only hurts others, eventually it hurts us as well. And strangely enough, there is healthy anger. And that anger isn't all bad. Uh, we find that Jesus got, got angry in the temple with the money changers. He calls it a, a den of thieves. And then he, he acts upon his anger and he drives them out of the temple. And this may seem even heretical, but, but it appears in the Bible that God gets angry from time to time. That he got angry at at Israel. He got angry at, at Moses and, and Aaron and, and Solomon. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, be angry, just don't sin. And so anger in and of itself is not necessarily a, the, the wrong thing. Anger is simply a, a natural human emotion. And sometimes it's a good thing. And so somebody in your life needs an intervention, or if you find yourself in an abusive relationship, you may need to get angry and, and tell that person, get help or, or get out. And so sometimes anger is the appropriate response to something or to someone. There is a, a good way uh, to be good and mad. And when we get angry about the things that, that God gets angry about, when we act in ways that, that promote well-being and, and the purposes of God, I would say anger can even be a virtue. But it can also be a warning sign. That something inside of us is, is wrong. I bought a, a new car uh, about a year and a half ago. And it has all these safety 
features on it. And I, I bought it with that in mind. You know, I'm getting older. I, I need more help, you know. <laughs> I keep backing into things, you know. And so whatever I can get to help, I'm, I'm for it. And, and my car beeps at me if it thinks that I'm, I'm getting too close to the car in front. And um, it beeps a lot. And, and, and it startles me, and so I, my foot automatically goes on the brake, you know, and, I'm, and then afterwards, after the, the danger has passed, I'll have a conversation with my car. <laughs> and it usually goes something like this. Hey, I wasn't going that fast, you know. I wasn't that close. Can you just kind of ease up a little bit? And there's actually a button on my dashboard that I can turn off the safety features. But that would be stupid. Because the problem is not my car, is it? What's the problem? Yeah, the problem is me. It's my driving. And so there is this unhealthy anger. And we see what it looks like in Genesis 4. It's the first recorded example of anger. Cain is the son of Adam and Eve. He's the brother of Abel. And something happened that Cain didn't like, and he gets mad. Isn't that interesting? The, the human race has just begun, and already there's anger. And where does it take place? It takes place in the family, doesn't it? Why is that? Why is the people we get maddest at or are those that we're closest to, that we spend the most time with, our family and our friends. Maybe it's because we, we spend too much time with them. Or maybe it's because we just care too much. Of course, the truth is, is that family can bring out the best in us and can also bring out the worst. So we don't know exactly why Cain was angry, but it has something to do with, with a religious offering to God. As far as we can tell, Abel didn't do anything to upset his brother. In fact, Cain's anger, if you read the text, Cain's anger actually seems to be directed more at, more at God. And so instead of directing his anger at, at God, he, he directs it at his brother. And so he says to Abel, he says, come on, let's go out in the field. And while nobody is watching, he murders his brother in a fit of anger. And God says to him, where's your brother? And Cain replies his famous words, how would I know? I'm not my brother's keeper. And God pronounces judgment. Now you're under a curse. You're driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. That's where anger can lead us to. See, rather than his anger solving the problem, it, it increases his pain, it increases his, his heartache, it increases his, his isolation. And, and he finds himself driven out uh, from his community. See, I think sometimes unhealthy anger is about control. I think, you know, if I yell loud enough, if I speak harshly, if I sulk long enough, if I strike hard enough, I can fix, th I can fix things. Now, I can make others do what I want them to do. And so anger gives me the illusion of control. But the irony is, is that when, when we do that, we end up 
losing control rather than gaining control, and we make things worse instead of better. You may remember uh, our last series on Jonah. God told Jonah to preach in Nineveh. He refuses because he, he hated the Ninevites. Three days in the, in the belly of a whale, and he changes his mind, and he goes, and, and he preaches. A great revival breaks out, and, and everyone in the city, they repent, and they're, they're happy, and they're joyful. Everybody except Jonah. And he's, he's angry. He wanted God to nuke the city. And then his anger turns into this settled disposition. He becomes depressed. He becomes a, a pouting prophet. He tells God, I want to die. His anger turned inwards. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes we, we turn our anger inward and, and we get depressed. Uh, some years ago, I took a class on neurolinguistics, and, and they teach that there are two ways that, that people handle anger. The first group, are, they're like Jonah. They turn their anger inwards. They become depressed, and in extreme cases, that can turn to suicide. And those people are called turtles because they clam up into their shell. They keep everything inside. The others, are more like myself, turn their anger outward. They become aggressive. And when taken to the extreme, they murder. And they're called skunks because they spray everybody else with their anger. Which are you? Are you a skunk? Or are you more of a turtle? You can talk about that on your way home today in the car. No, you probably actually shouldn't. Or there'll be a line outside my office tomorrow morning. So anger becomes unhealthy when it, when it opens the door to, to greater evil in our lives. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, In your anger do not sin. But then he goes on, he says, And do not let the sin go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so anger in and of itself may not be sinful, but it can give evil a foothold into our life. When, when that door is, is left open, there's no uh, telling what may come in with that. And sometimes it's resentment. Uh, sometimes bitterness comes in that door. Sometimes a grudge that you can't let go. Sometimes down and, and out hostility. Proverbs 14 uh, warns us. It says, an angry person does foolish things. Proverbs 29 says, a hot-tempered person commits many sins. There's a danger there. Now back to our story of Cain and Abel. They brought their offerings to the Lord. God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's because of his attitude. God says to him, Cain, if you change your attitude, I will accept your gift. But Cain can't, and he gets very angry. And, and so God says to him, Cain, be careful. He says, sin is lurking at its door. Its desire is for you. He says, you must master it. But Cain would not or could not guard himself against the effects of his anger, and he killed his brother. Satan had gained, evil had gained a foothold into his life. And anger becomes unhealthy when it's expressed in, in words that destroy others. Again, Paul writes this. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit for those who listen. Now, I don't know about you, but, but it's always dangerous for me to open my mouth when I'm angry. 
I mean, I've said some of the dumbest things when I've been mad. And I, I used to let it all out, and I used to just spray everybody around me and, until I learned that I have to wait until the anger begins to subside before I open my mouth. See, I think it's critical that we learn how to guard our words carefully because a well-controlled mouth can, can neutralize anger. Proverbs 15 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, that stirs up anger. And not only can unhealthy anger hurt others, it can destroy us. Theologian Frederick Buechner wrote this. He said, anger is possibly the most fun of all of our emotions. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last to some morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, anger is a feast fit for a king. But the chief drawback is that what you are woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Isn't that true? Nursing a grudge, nursing hostility, nursing resentment can be fun, but in the end, it consumes us. So how do we deal with our anger? The book of James gives us, I think, some good advice. He writes this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so I think the first thing we need to do is, is to admit our anger, to, to, to speak it and, and name what's wrong so that it comes to light. Every once in a while, my wife, Melinda, will say to me, oh, Mark, you seem to be angry. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm just fine. Why do you say that? <laughs> I do. A better way is to simply say, you know what? You're right. I am angry. And here's why. And I think it's good for us to tell God that as well. God, I, I'm so angry right now. God, I'm, I'm mad at her. God, I'm mad at him. God, I'm, I'm mad at the world. God, I'm, I'm mad at you. And I don't know what to do about it. I mean, how different it might have been if, if Cain had been able to articulate his anger to God, to the right person. Read through the Psalms. I mean, there's some angry angry psalms in the Bible. In Psalm 10, David admits his anger to God. He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? God, why are, do you hide yourself in the time of trouble? He, he is mad at God. He is not happy with the way things are, and, and he lets God have it. In fact, later on, he'll pray, God, break the arm of the wicked man and call the evildoer evil to account. I mean, that's harsh stuff. You ever prayed a prayer like that? God, break Bob's arm. <laughs> I've wanted to pray that. <laughs> the thing is, David wasn't afraid to let God know. And God let him pray that way. I'm pretty sure God didn't answer that prayer. But I know God heard that prayer. And that he was able to help David to get to a better place. 
So we need to admit it, to be honest. Secondly, we, we need to release it. In Ephesians 4, again, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, uh, some of us might be scratching our heads and thinking, how, how do I do that? It's not that simple. I mean, anger is, is far too complex to just dismiss it. But Dr. Les Carter in his book, Good and Angry, says this. He says, anyone who lives a life of anger is choosing it. And the Bible says, don't choose it. Let go of it. In verse 32, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So what the Bible teaches is that rather than trying to get revenge on someone who has done you wrong, choose instead a different way. Choose to counter it with a, with a positive action. Jesus said, love your enemies. Practice. And yeah, we're practicing. Practice being kind. Practice being compassionate. And so Jesus is teaching us that the answer to hatred is love. That the answer to evil is to do good. So we need to let go of it. We need to stop making a list of people who have offended us. Stop making a, a, a list at, at people that you're mad at. Learn to share your anger in a constructive way with somebody who can listen to your pain and someone who can listen to your hurt. And then take the next step and begin to offer forgiveness to those who have caused it. Let, your God, let God fill you up with himself. Folks, it works. It really does. You see, anger can attach itself to your soul and it can suck the life out of it. I have to be constantly on guard against anger. And there's been a few times when I've chosen to express anger that needed to be expressed. Most of the time, it's the wrong kind. And that's when I find out what's really inside of me. And so if I find myself stressed and, and being squeezed and, and kindness and compassion come out, then I know I'm making progress. If I find myself squeezed and, and anger and hostility or bad words start to come out, I know God has some work yet to do. You see, God is working in me to replace that anger with himself. And he will help us get to the root of the problem. He'll give us confidence and he will give us security so that when you are squeezed by life and you will be squeezed and things don't go your way, you'll be more resistant to sin that comes out of our anger. You see, in the end, it's all about our transformation. Jesus has a plan for each and every one of us to, to change us, to transform us into the image of Christ. God is working to make each and every one of us holy people. And the irritations that come our way on a, on a daily basis, those are opportunities for you and I to deal with anger in a right way or in a wrong way. And I find that hardly a day goes by that, that I don't have the temptation to get angry. But every time I choose to respond in a biblical way, it brings me just a little bit closer to Christ. And then finally, we need to resolve it. Jesus talks about how important this is. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. And so when we've allowed our anger to, to hurt someone, Jesus says, take care of it. Take care of it now. Don't wait. Be reconciled. Man, I'll tell you, there are times when I am I'm tempted to hang on to my anger. To, to not seek out the people that I have offended. and Sometimes I just hope it just goes away. You ever done that? Maybe I just ignore it. It'll, it'll go away. But folks, forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice. And that's a choice that we as Christ followers need to make almost every single day of our lives. We need to take care of it today. I think this is great advice for married couples. You, you ever had a, a fight with your spouse? I know most of us here haven't, but but a few of us have, and it's bedtime, and you're stewing about it, and you keep replaying that argument over and over again in your head, and it won't go away, and you're almost certain that, that you won that argument, that, that darn it, you were right, and they were wrong, and you choose to go to bed, and you're angry. And I find that if I, if I go to bed angry, and I wake up, guess what? Angrier. And it becomes a settled disposition. And you can bet that I'm going to be stewing about it the whole the next day. I'm going to be angry in the shower, and I'm going to be short with people throughout the day. And I'll, I'll come home, and I'll try to pretend like it, like it never happened. Or one of my favorites is to try to, to punish them by giving them a silent treatment. Isn't that fun? Everybody walks around on eggshells, afraid to say anything. Or sometimes we simply try to, to avoid the other. We go into the deep freeze, and, and before we know it, guess what's happened? We've gone from just being angry, and now we're that angry person. Jesus says, don't wait. Take care of it quickly. He says, don't even bother with offering your sacrifice to God until you take care of your earthly relationships. He says, drop what you're doing. Take care of it now. How do we do that? We take responsibility for our part in it. We acknowledge that, they, that we hurt their feelings, that our feelings were hurt. We ask for forgiveness. We receive it, and we offer it. And then once we've cooled down, then we try to resolve the argument that started it in the first place. But what I find is to get rooted uh, of my anger, I simply need to ask Christ to take over my life. I've discovered that the Christ is waiting to help me change, that he gives me power that is greater than myself, that I can't do it in my own power. I can't do it in my own strength. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6, he says, Don't let sin control your body any longer. Don't give in to its sinful desires, but give yourself completely to God. There it is, every part of you, to be used for his purpose. And so Paul is saying the solution to your sin is to simply choose the right master. That we, either we can be mastered by anger, we can be controlled by, by our anger, or we can be God-controlled. It's our choice. Oftentimes, I just want to give God the problem but God says over and over again, Mark, if you want me to work on the problem, you have to give me every area of your life. 
you got to give it all to me. We have to turn over total management to God. And that produces incredible power to change. How would your relationships be different if you could do that? How would your family relationships be different? How would your relationships with your neighbors be different? How might your marriage be different? How would your relationship with God be different? Let's pray. God, we thank you for our emotions. They are the very heart of life. But God, sometimes we develop these bad habits. We find ways that are not helpful to express them. But God, you give us the power to be whole people. You give us the strength to be healthy people. You show us new ways of, of dealing with things that don't work anymore. And so, God, we just want to surrender our hearts and our lives to you today. God, give us that self-control to, to master those things that attempt to control us. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, come and make us truly your people, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.